sometimes it's hard to remember all of the steps and tools that we learn in the healing and wellness space. But with the sugar jar, it's really quite simple. Do I have enough sugar to keep myself feeling full, fulfilled, loved, safe, and seen? I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're excited to invite Yasmin Cheyenne onto our show. Yasmin is a self-healing educator, author, speaker, and mental wellness advocate who helps people learn how to cultivate daily practices to build healthy, joyful lives. We know that health is extremely important to you, and you have helped tens of thousands of women take control of their mental and physical health. Could you start by introducing yourself to our audience and tell them how you got so passionate about helping others heal? Hi. So again, thank you so much for having me here. I think my journey initially started when I was a victim advocate for victims of crime, sexual assault, abuse, things like that, and getting interested in what kind of work people would need to begin to deal with the trauma and experiences that they had been through. And it kind of invited me to begin my own journey and healing as well, having to walk them through such traumatic experiences. And from there, it just continued. I just continued to be interested not only in that form of trauma or healing, but in all the ways that we experience life and how I had the, what I felt is a gift to help people through really hard times. And in all your content that just shines so brightly, we'll be getting into healing and how we can heal our relationship with each other, with ourselves in different questions in this interview. But let's start off on a topic that we know much of our audience needs, and that's boundaries. I mean, you speak on this so well. We listened to one of your TED Talks and it was captivating. It was filled with takeaways that I know our listeners are going to find value in. Let's dive into this. How can women begin creating emotional, but then also mental health boundaries in their lives? Yeah, I love this question because I think that when we think about boundaries, we automatically think about how we can tell everyone in our lives what they can and can't do with us. It's really exciting and captivating to think about setting everyone straight. But really, starting with those personal boundaries are really where we begin to see those shifts in our lives. And so thinking about the ways that you might be getting in the way of you having access to the joy, the peace, and the ease that you desire. When are you saying yes to overworking when you know you don't have the energy for it? When are you saying yes to doing things for friends or family that you don't feel comfortable allowing them to do? When do you answer your phone when really you want to just read that book? You know, and those sound like very tiny things. And yes, we want to show up for our friends and our family in the same way that we want them to show up for us. But there has to be limitations because our energy is not infinite. Right. And that's how we begin to burn out. If we don't allow ourselves to have space and time where we're not doing anything for anyone, but we're just taking care of ourselves. So I always like to invite people to begin with yourself. Think about the thing that's in the way the most right now. It could be 
I feel like I have no time in the morning. I feel like I'm on the phone to 11 o'clock at night with my mom because she calls me every night on her way home from work. Whatever it is for you, begin thinking about how you can set a boundary with yourself that doesn't necessarily need to have a conversation like, for example, putting do not disturb on your phone so the phone call doesn't go through unless it's an emergency. You know, beginning to advocate for yourself in those small ways. And it begins to teach us that, oh, when I do this, people don't necessarily hate me because I chose myself. They probably just call someone else. And so we learn that we don't have to be everyone's everything and that we're allowed to be there for ourselves too. I love how you started that answer. We had Nedra Tawab on our podcast, who oh, I is love like, Nedra. yes, was it? She, I yeah. think she was on your podcast too, wasn't she? She was, yes. She's like the queen of boundaries, and she said, you know, you're not in charge of the other side of the street. Like you are just mm-hmm. in charge of your side of the street, and we can't even take on how other people respond to our boundaries. We're on our side of the street. We're doing what feels good to us. And then in the later part of your answer, I think it's really hard for women because we have just been socialized to be concerned about everyone around us. And especially into my 30s, it's like there's this self-awareness of what do I need? And even pushing myself to, you know, it's okay to put myself before other people. I'm wondering if you could speak to that you know, when it comes to, we're speaking right now to so many busy women. And I think that a lot of times they're forgetting that the permission to actually put the boundary in place to not only protect themselves, but even further to feel well. Yeah. I think that there is this, nobody wants to be called selfish, right? Right. Nobody wants to be seen as someone who isn't good. And I think goodness and overgiving, goodness and people-pleasing, goodness and not having boundaries have become synonymous, especially for women. And we struggle a lot of times with the feelings that we're holding. Yes, part of it is I don't want to disappoint someone else when I set that boundary because they might be upset that I've said no. But I think the other thing that we're often not willing to admit is I don't even want to disappoint myself and deal with these feelings of guilt or resentment that I'm going to have when I have to say no. And so we choose the discomfort of overgiving or people-pleasing or saying yes over the discomfort of maybe I feel guilty for a few minutes, but then when I have the time to care for myself, I realize that it was worth it. Like we don't give ourselves the moment to work through those feelings and recognize that we chose correctly when we said yes to ourselves. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I actually love that you just said that because when we're giving this advice and those of us that like specialize in in whatever we do, it can almost sound so easy. And what Mm -hmm. I love to say is like boundaries, it actually isn't easy, especially Mm -hmm. at first when you're new at it. But pushing through that discomfort when you know, actually, you know what, on Friday night, I really do want to stay home. And I'm going to choose that. Like there is going to be some discomfort, especially if it's brand new to you. Yeah. And we can move through discomfort. We can learn how to care for ourselves when those tough feelings come up. We can also reach out to friends, family, our therapist, our coach. You can turn on 
the Herself podcast. Like you can reach out to those tools and, and access those things that we have that help us to navigate the discomfort of potentially disappointing people. And I think reminding ourselves that when we choose not to potentially disappoint someone and we say yes to something that isn't in alignment with what we want to be doing or that we don't have energy for, we're actually just choosing to betray ourselves instead. So there's like oftentimes not an in-between. It's like, I'm going to do what they want or I'm going to do this or I'm going to should myself into this because I think this is what I should be doing or this is what people expect of me or I'm going to betray myself and I'm betraying myself in doing that or I'm going to choose myself and I'm going to hold the potential discomfort that may come up. And that's really hard to choose from. And I think really letting people know that Boundaries is a practice. No one is perfect at boundaries. No one is doing it quote unquote correctly. We're each choosing what we feel is best for us in that moment. And the power of being able to change your mind, if you find that you didn't choose what you thought was best for you, is also something that I think people need to empower themselves to use. This life is so fluid. Just because you put your foot on the ground saying one thing doesn't mean it has to stay that way forever. And for the people pleasers out there, that energy follows you into that situation. It follows you into the event that you didn't want to go to. It follows you into the meal that you didn't really want to drop off, but said you would because you thought that you should. So just everything in that answer with making sure that you're saying yes and actually intending the yes. We had a big conversation over on Instagram on the Herself podcast page just this last week exactly on that. And a bunch of Enneagram twos, people pleasers chimed in with, (laughs) I used to do this or I do this right now. I'm putting my own beliefs of, oh, I don't want to put them out because I was the one that said something and I didn't really want to do it. No, people are there to help. And we should only be saying yes when we actually want to say yes. and. People pleasing doesn't have to be a title you own. It's a behavior that we learned. And I think thinking of it in that way, you know, I love the different ways that we can get to know ourselves better, the Enneagrams, the Zodiac, you know, there's different ways, but then sometimes we can allow that to box us in and we're like, no, this is who I am. I'm a cancer rising. You know, I just overgive. It's like, those are attributes potentially to who you are. And you're always able to choose or learn something different. And it may be something that's tough and doesn't feel natural to you, but it doesn't mean that you can't exercise that new muscle. And so not allowing all of these different titles to box you in and make you choose based on what you think you should be doing and how you're defined by a particular personality typing system and allowing yourself to choose based on what you need in this moment, I think is also something that predominantly when I think about the clients I see women tend to do (laughs) more than I've ever seen men do. Oh, it's become like people's entire personality is whatever their Enneagram says it is. And I'm like, people ask me what my Enneagram number is. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't need it. I am (laughs) who I am. You know, you can tell me what I am, but I'm still going to operate like how I'm in a season of, I always want to grow from wherever I am anyway. So mm-hmm. that would be interesting too, if someone had a coach or a therapist, if they grew out of what their Enneagram was. Maybe a topic for a different day, <laughs> but yeah. what, what I really wanted to get into you with is comparison traps. And we mm-hmm. know that comparison 
is such a tricky game that a lot of us play and learning how to minimize it can certainly be challenging. How do you teach women to start to put comparison to the side so that they are able to preserve their energy? You know, I think comparison is such a natural trap in the world that we live in today because when we're feeling down, not all of us, but a lot of us, we turn on TV or we go on social media where there's tons of opportunity for us to feel crappy about ourselves. And so it's like the things that we turn to to numb or to for entertainment end up being the place where we end up seeing things that reinforce the societal idea that we're not enough, which is where comparison often stems from. I'm not enough because I don't have that hairstyle. I'm not enough because I'm not that skin tone. I'm not enough because I'm not that height. I'm not enough because my business didn't take off as fast as that person's business did. And I think what is really helpful when people are thinking about how can I begin to unlearn comparison or at least remind myself of the truth in a moment of comparison is one, the person or the thing that I'm comparing myself to, especially if I don't know them, like if you're comparing yourself to Cindy Crawford or you're comparing yourself to someone that you follow on social media that you admire, you don't actually know what their lives are like. You're seeing a snapshot of their life and time that they curated for you to see. And the story that you're telling yourself that your life would be better that you belong more, that you'd be worthy, that you'd have the partner, whatever it is that you're telling yourself that would be possible if you had what that person has, isn't based on reality because you don't know what that person is suffering through. Because no matter how successful we are, rich, beautiful, based on those societal standards of what that means, we each as individuals, as humans, are struggling through something. We suffer in different ways. We're all working through learning how to love ourselves more. And so the more important question is, what do I actually need to feel like I'm enough in this moment? Not what do I need that I believe this person has, or how do I need to become more of who they are? How do I already belong to myself and to the people who are in my life? And this might sound really heavy because it's like, whoa, I feel like crap right now. I'm not going to go down that list of what (laughs) Yasmin just shared in that moment and remind myself that I'm worthy. But reminding yourself that I am enough, just those three words in a moment where you're going down a rabbit hole of how you aren't is incredibly powerful to our energy, to our nervous system, and to shifting our mindset back into the reality of being in a place of groundedness rather than in a place of spiraling. Yeah, that answer made a lot of sense to me. I think what I've learned is to slow down. So when I was younger, I used to have more of a comparison trap and I would often buy things. I'm not going to lie, you do get that quick dopamine hit of you're getting the thing that you want in the moment. But to say like it doesn't truly make you happier if I would have just slowed down a little bit and used some of the prompts that you just generously gave us to say that I am enough and figure out where that's coming from rather than thinking you can outrun it. Absolutely.
And now a quick break from our podcast partner, Viore. If you see us online on Instagram, or if you see us in real life, you know that Amy and I have been wearing Viore nonstop. Amy in the dash short, me in the Clementine short, and both of us love the Halo Performance hoodie 2.0. It comes in so many colors and the soft feel of it, the easy zip up, how it perfectly fits to your body. You guys, we literally can't get enough. However, I really want to talk about their joggers. You guys, I'm a person who I am so picky when it comes to pants in general, but joggers especially. I, to this day, have never worn joggers outside of the house besides to a campfire maybe. But the Viore joggers, first of all, they're known for their joggers, so I should have been warned, but their joggers are absolute perfection. I have picked up a few pairs, but the Weekender have been ones that I've been wearing nonstop as we head into the fall. I got them in the oregano color, absolutely in love. So if you have never given the Viore joggers a try, or if you're like, is this for me? Believe me when I say give them a try and see if they're right for you. For our listeners, you also get 20% off your first order. So if you type in vioriclothing.com backslash herself, that's vioriclothing, V-U-O-R-I, clothing.com backslash herself for 20% off your first order. Now back to our show. You know, what you just named, like buying things, is another way that we tend to numb or tend to try to entertain or make ourselves feel better and give ourselves that dopamine hit of feeling good or feeling like we belong or feeling like we now measure up. And it doesn't mean that every time we buy something, we're doing that. But specifically, when we're making a purchase in that moment of comparison, it's usually from the place of, this is going to make me feel enough, worthy, like I belong. And those are the words that usually, we may not be using those words. You know, when we're comparing ourselves, we might not be saying, I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel like I belong. We might be saying, you know, I don't like my size. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. You know, we're naming all the things that we think that we're not. And we choose something, whether it's numbing through buying things, whether it's scrolling on social media, whether it's eating a lot or not eating enough. There's so many different ways that our systems may shut down, for lack of a better term, and that we tune into the cycle of where we go when we're trying to get ourselves to feel better. And it's often unconscious. You're not consciously saying, I'm going to buy this and it's going to make me feel like I belong. It's just the habit that we have in place. It's the cycle that we have in place that turns on when those feelings come up. And learning to turn into those uncomfortable feelings and share them with someone is the bravest work that we'll do because it is so tough to admit the truth that we feel about ourselves and to be honest with not only other people, but with ourselves about how we feel. It's far easier to shut down, to avoid, or to buffer, like using something to just make up for the pain that we're feeling. And I want to invite our listeners to just say that right now, like, I am enough. And if you're in a season where you're not believing it, follow up with the question of what do I need to feel like I am enough? And it might not be buying a new pair of shoes. It might be something that's much deeper, actually taking care of yourself. But being able to sink into that and not just coat it with something will get to the actual root of it. And I brought this up in episode 128, but I've been working on listening to my intuition much, much more in this season. I've been getting really quiet. I've been trying to hear what she has to say, the inner Abby. What is she saying right now? Yasmin, we know that you help your students tap into their intuition and you do so by helping them reclaim their power. So could you walk us through what this process looks like? 
Yes. I'm excited to share this too, because I haven't shared this publicly yet, but there's a part of my book that talks about this. And I'm going to share it here with your listeners, because I think that it's the best way to remember that your intuition is working, whether we know it or not. Because the number one question I get is, I don't know what my intuition is. There's a bunch of stuff going on in my head. (laughs) I don't know if it's my fears, my worries, you know, I'm not quite sure. And so I like people to think about you know, being in a crowded party or a crowded room before COVID, most of us were in lots of crowded rooms on a regular basis. And I want you to think about that moment that you've had. Most of us have had it where we can feel that someone is staring at us. We don't know who it is, but we can feel it. You might have used that language. I feel like someone's staring at me. And you turn around and you look around and you make that eye contact with someone and you most likely look away quickly because it's embarrassing that you found them staring and they look away because it's awkward. But most of us have been in that position before. And I think that's the easiest way to remind people that each of us have an intuitive sense and being able to determine what energy is coming toward us and being able to determine that our energy is working, right? You might use the phrase, my gut told me, I don't know, something just told me not to do it. And those phrases are usually code for our intuition. And so the hard part about intuition for most people is trusting it. We want other people to tell us a lot of the times that what we're doing is right. And so we poll people in our lives and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? But unfortunately, people are just telling us what they think based on their experiences. And it's not going to be the same as your intuition. And so to begin exercising that self-trust with yourself, you're going to have to go based on what your gut is telling you. And the way that you know that it's your gut is that it is not laced in fear. Fear is going to sound like, I'm doing this because this is the last resort, or I don't feel like I have any other choice, or this is what I think that person might want me to do, so I'm just going to do this. Intuition sounds more like, a firm knowing. You might not even know why, but I'm going to say no to this. I don't know why, but something about them doesn't seem right. This isn't a good date. It's the thing that makes you make a decision when you're unclear why it's even the right thing for you, but you know that it's the best thing for you to do. Even something small where sometimes you might have left a little later and then later you see that there was an accident on your way and you thought, oh my gosh, something told me not to leave during that time. Intuition shows up in many different ways. And I know that was a lot, but I think that sharing all of that is important for the people who may not be in the spiritual world, may not be in the woo-woo world, and are truly trying to find a conceptual way to understand intuition, because it often helps sometimes to understand it logically first, and then feel comfortable enough to go in and trust yourself energetically, spiritually as well. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. In this episode, we are talking a lot about the expectation of others and how that can really dictate our choices. When I was working with my BetterHelp therapist, this is something that we really worked on. Understanding that I'm allowed to put boundaries in place to protect myself, to love myself, to make sure that I feel in alignment with my own life and that I am not living it just based on what my family wants, what my friends want, what anyone else wants from me. So 
this is something that you're working on or something that's really holding you up, the BetterHelp therapists could definitely help you. You can use our 10% off discount code by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. That's better, H-E-L-P.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month and you can join the over 2 million people that are using their services. Now back to the episode. Something that Abby and I have both found is that for us, a lot of it is being able to get quiet. So instead of talking about it with 10 friends and listening to seven podcasts and doing all the things with technology so at our fingertips, I was finding that I never was in silence with myself. And for me, that's when I hear what I actually feel is like when I'm on a run without something in my ears when I'm driving and I'm not listening to anything. Like we have to find those moments, especially we're talking to really busy women right now. So I feel like it's just so challenging because we are often not alone. So true. And a lot of us are scared of silence. Yes. Um, you know, I hear people all the time tell me meditation is not for me. I don't want to sit with my thoughts. So that idea of sitting with themselves is often the last thing people want to do. They don't want to slow down. And I often invite people, like, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't do it. You can be silent. You can meditate through walking. You can meditate through movement. You can find ways to connect to your intuition in ways that your nervous system, that your body is currently comfortable with, and then slowly transition into being able to sit in stillness or in silence and allow things to come to you because there really is no right or wrong way to do it. It's really just about getting started. Yes. And we talk about it like, isn't that so American that when we think of meditation, we're like, nope, we want to do it exactly perfectly. And it's like mm -hmm. walking could be your meditation. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to be the perfect meditator. <laughs> like you just have to be willing to be with yourself sometimes. Another thing that we wanted to get into with you is the idea of compromise. So my husband and I have been having a lot of conversations recently centering around compromise. At this point in our marriage and in our parenthood, we've both realized that we individually need to get our needs met and we need both of our voices to be heard. So for people that are in couplehood or even with friends and business partners, how do we start to compromise in a healthy way in order to build a stronger relationship? Yes, I think that this is the question when it comes to having healthy relationships. I think the first thing that you both or the listeners, if you're thinking about your own relationships that you need to be willing to do is really listen. This is the most important step when it comes to compromise, because most of us are listening with the thought process of answering or listening with the thought process of defending. And compromise can't happen without trust, safety, and vulnerability. And you can be talking to someone that you've known for 30 years and not have those things. So building that trust and that safety often comes from both parties feeling confident that the person on the other side is actually listening to understand them. The second thing that I think is really helpful for having a healthy compromise 
is just being as honest as you can. You can't create the compromise that makes you both feel comfortable and safe. And that's what boundaries are really about. Boundaries are about creating an atmosphere or relationship of safety. And so unless we're honest with ourselves and the people that we're in relationship with, they don't know when they're overstepping or violating what feels good or what doesn't feel good to us, right? If we're talking about being partnered, use my husband and I, for example, if my husband wants to go for a run later on and I haven't communicated that I have some other plan or idea or something that I want to do later on and get in the way of him being able to do what he wanted to do and believe that he's unwilling to compromise with me, is that true? Or is it actually that I didn't communicate what I needed? And so therefore we're both confused about what's happening. And so being honest with myself about where I need to be honest and clear and allowing him to do the same is a very important step when it comes to clearly communicating what you need. And I think the third thing that I want to leave the listeners with when it comes to compromise is being willing to be quote unquote wrong. And I don't like to use that word often, but I think words are important in how we use them naturally in language. But this is not about winning or losing, but then also reminding yourself, you might have made a mistake or you might have done something that wasn't helpful to be able to bring the compromise to where you both needed to be. And being able to accept when you might have done something intentionally, unintentionally that derailed the compromise, it's helpful in being able to move forward, which is what both parties most likely want to do. Get to the other side where you're both in a place of clearly understanding each other and having that safe compromise, which often is a boundary that's set and says what is going to happen going forward. That answer is so easy to listen to when you're not in the heat of the disagreement and all of those pieces that you just brought up. I'm like, yes, so true. If we can have that trust, have that safety, be honest, be willing to be wrong when in the moment you're just fighting tooth and nail of this is where <laughs> yes. I'm coming from. This is where I'm coming from. I can even just think of disagreements that Colin and I have had in the past and we're both trying to be so right in it. You can only see your side, but if you just take a little mm-hmm. bit of a step their way and just put yourself in their position just a tiny bit even and be willing to be quote unquote, like you said, wrong, or just be open to the possibility of someone else being a little bit right. It makes that situation go by so much easier. Yes. And I think also allow yourself to be angry or upset or sad or frustrated with Mm -hmm. yourself. You know, sometimes when we're frustrated or upset, we feel like I need to let that person know that they can't mess with me in this way. And it's like, how about we take a pause and write it down, call the friend. I call it constructive complaining. Go into your journal and constructively complain about that person and get it out. And often when we write about someone, we begin to find the places of their humanness. Because at the end of the day, yes, it's your partner and they're an adult, but that doesn't mean they come with all of the language and capabilities and capacity to fully understand everything that you need and vice versa. And so reminding yourself, ultimately, my goal here is to get back to a place where we both feel good. Not ultimately, my goal here is to get to a place where you realize that you were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We both just want to feel good. We couldn't let this episode go by without talking about something that you have become so well known for. You have your own podcast. You have your own Instagram storyline named The Sugar Jar. And we love this concept. So 
let's go into a little bit more detail into this sugar jar idea and also why it's so important for each of us to think about. Yes. So the sugar jar, to explain what it is, is a metaphor for who we are. The jar itself is us, right? It is the, the vessel that holds us together because the sugar inside the jar is anything that can be exchanged. It's our energy, our time, our money, our ideas, you know, everything that incorporates who we are in our lives. And even though we may have many titles, mom, friend, sister, wife, we only have one jar because there's only one of us. And so we are responsible for managing how our sugar is used, how our energy is used. And we do that by having boundaries in place, which is a lid on our jar. The reason why this came to me was because I was in a place in my life where I had just come back to work from maternity leave and I was completely overwhelmed. I was exhausted and I teach boundaries and I just did not understand how I was overwhelmed when this is something that I teach people how to do. And it reminded me that sometimes we all grow them. Sometimes they shift and change faster than we can keep up with. And I felt like I was a sugar jar in that moment. I felt like people were coming in and out of the kitchen where my sugar jar lived and just taking as much as they wanted, taking as little as they wanted. They were spilling it all over the place. I felt completely dispersed. I felt energetically drained. And I realized that this was a great visual metaphor for people to quickly be able to check in with themselves. Because as we've talked about on this podcast, sometimes it's hard to remember all of the steps and tools that we learn in the healing and wellness space. But with the sugar jar, it's really quite simple. Do I have enough sugar to keep myself feeling full, fulfilled, loved, safe, and seen? That's like a quick question. Do I have enough? The next question would be, if somebody's asking me for something, do I have enough to give to them? If I do, then I open my jar up and I give. If I don't, then I keep the lid on my jar. And then lastly, do I even have a lid on my jar? Because sometimes people are taking sugar from us and we think, well, they're taking advantage of me. And really the question I want people to ask themselves is, is this person taking advantage of me or am I a willing participant in allowing them to take what I don't want them to take? And this isn't applicable in abusive relationships or in domestic disputes or anything like that. We're talking about relationships where you're willingly giving when you do not want to give, where you are willingly saying yes, or maybe not even verbally saying it, but you're like, yeah, you can use my car when you really don't want to, or yeah, you could take that money when you really don't want to, or yeah, sign me up for that project when you're already drowning. And so it's an opportunity for people to remind themselves of the autonomy that they have. And it's also a visual to remind yourself of the ways in which people can be taken from you. And that's why you might be as drained as you feel. Yeah, the thing that's speaking so loudly to me today from you is this self-awareness piece that I think a lot of times we're missing. We're thinking, oh, this is what everyone's doing to me. And of course, in our society, is that true? Sure. But like, we also have to take a little bit of our power back and say, nope, mm. I have to put the lid on my jar. And the reason that this is speaking to me super loudly is we actually had to move our sugar jar because our three-year-old knew where it was and kept going in and taking what oh he wanted. God. And it was very inappropriate for him to be scooping sugar from it. But I was just thinking like, as a mom, you know, we know that 
in certain seasons, our kids can deplete us and, you know, they're going to take as much as they can. And that's okay. That's in a way what they're supposed to do. But we have to figure out, you know, when do I need to close this? When do I need more help? When does my husband need to give more sugar than I'm giving right now? Absolutely. I love that. I've not heard anyone share that before. And I love that someone was literally physically a child was going he and taking sugar. is so wild. And he knew exactly where it was. It was not his first time when I caught him. I'll tell you that much. Oh. Okay, Yasmin, we have loved this conversation so much. I would love it if you told all of our listeners exactly where they can find you. I know I need more of you. I've already listened to your podcast, but I feel like I'm going to go on a very healthy binge of it. Thank you so much. Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Yasmin Cheyenne. You can also listen to my podcast, The Sugar Drive Podcast. If you're interested in doing self-healing work with me, you can download my app, The Sugar Drive Community app on Apple and on Google Play. And stay tuned to find out more details about The Sugar Drive book that is coming very soon. Well, thank you again so much. And for those who are listening, there are several prompts and activities that you can pull from this episode. So make sure that you do it. We love hearing about when you take these episodes and actually implement them into your lives. So let us know what you pull from it. And thank you again so much for being on. Thank you.